Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 120 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller, pleased to be joining you guys once again. You know, a lot of you really, really enjoyed just a couple weeks ago when myself, Josh Manley, and Timmy Bevan, when we did sort of a live podcast of the NASCAR Cup Series race at Michigan International Speedway. Well, unfortunately, I won't be able to watch the race tomorrow. Some things came up, so I figured I might as well do a podcast now and a live version of practice and qualifying for the NASCAR Cup Series race at Watkins Glen International. Now, before we get into discussing practice and qualifying for tomorrow's GoBowling.com at the Glen, also going to talk about some other major headlines in the sport. Obviously, you can't help but start with the Bush brothers, Kurt and Kyle. Unfortunately, this past Thursday, Kurt Bush had to announce that he has been rolled out for the final two regular season races tomorrow at Watkins Glen International and one week from today, Saturday night at Daytona International Speedway. So that will make it six consecutive races that Kurt Busch has missed to finish out the regular season. Obviously going back to his qualifying crash at Pocono on July 23rd when he suffered that concussion, then the Indianapolis road course, Michigan, Richmond, Watkins Glen, and Daytona. Now, Kurt, obviously, he won at Kansas on May 15th. That qualified him for the playoffs. He is locked in at the moment. And Kurt said, obviously, his goal is to hopefully be cleared in time for the playoff opener on September 4th, the Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway. Um, Bob Pockris, you know, he, he did say that Kurt, even if he misses the rest of the regular season, as he will, and even if he misses the first two races of the round of 16, which would be Darlington and also Kansas, where he won back in May, Kurt could go to Bristol, win that race, and advance to the round of 12 just like that. He could even miss the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, he would be knocked out, but he would still have a chance to finish as high as fifth in points, depending on when he could come back and how well that he could perform. But obviously... As I've talked about on the past several several shows, this reminds me way too much of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s concussion in 2016. Way, way too much. And ultimately, I know Kurt wants to get back in time for the playoffs. But honestly, me personally, I think it would be best if he sat out the rest of 2022. Because this is basically the same scenario that we saw with Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2016 when he had the wreck at Michigan. He was ruled out for the race at New Hampshire on July 17th. And then he went to Pittsburgh to see his doctor, Mickey Collins, and Mickey couldn't clear him for Indianapolis and Pocono. And obviously that's when Jeff Gordon came out of retirement to drive the 88 car. Then Dale went back the day after Pocono and couldn't be cleared for Watkins Glen and Bristol then went back several days after Bristol and couldn't clear him for Michigan and Darlington. And then ultimately, that's when Mickey made the decision to have Dale Jr. sit out the rest of 2016. I don't know if it's gotten to that point. I know that Dale Earnhardt Jr., he has been working with Kurt Busch. He has gotten him in touch with his doctors that helped him recover from that concussion in 2016. But obviously, as we know, every concussion is different. And the older that you get, like Dale Earnhardt Jr. was 41 when this happened, and Kurt Busch, this was not even two weeks shy of his 44th birthday. He turned 44 on August 4th. 
And obviously, when you suffer a concussion in your 20s, it could last for a few days. But then, once you hit your 30s, it could be a few weeks. And as we, we've seen with Dale Jr. and Kurt Busch, it could be well over a month, like what Dale Jr. had to do in, in 2016. Now, on to younger brother Kyle. When Kyle Busch met with the media this morning at Watkins Glen International and was asked about his plans for 2023, he basically said it's going to look a lot different than it has the last 15 years. Now, you connect the dots. He's been with Joe Gibbs Racing for 15 seasons. And Kyle also said that there's been a lot of sleepless nights and it's been hard as hell. That tells me right then and there that he is out of the 18 car, Joe Gibbs Racing, at the end of 2022. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. Now, as the weeks have drawn on and we have become accustomed to the fact that Kyle, 99.9% chance that he will not be back in the 18 car in 2023. Ultimately, the team, for the longest time, that sounds like, was going to be the favorite to land Kyle Busch for 2023 was Stuart Haas Racing. And yesterday, it sounds like Eric Almarola is going to put retirement off for one more year and drive the number 10 Smithfield forward in 2023, which is an absolute disgrace if you ask me. I mean, he's, unless he wins Daytona, which we know Eric has won at Daytona before he got his first win there in July of 2014. But other than that, seriously, what the hell has he done in that 10 car at Stuart Haas Racing? Yeah, I know that he came close to making the championship for his first year with the team in 2018, but it's basically been all downhill since then. Now, before we dive into more Kyle Busch talk, just want to take a quick look at Group A in practice. To no surprise, the top two in Group A NASCAR Cup Series practice at Watkins Glen International, Chase Elliott. As I said, the first win of his career at Watkins Glen in 2018, and then he won there again in 2019 and ultimately finished second to the guy that's second right now, last year, his teammate Kyle Larson. And I have to agree with a lot of Chase Elliott fans. Alan Gustafson, he was ejected from the track that morning, that morning for inspection failures. They sent Chase to the back of the field, and he drove his ass off to finish second. If not for all these those issues, I think that he definitely could have three-peated at Watkins Glen and beaten Kyle Larson. As I said, Kyle, he won at Watkins Glen last year in that five car, driving for Hendrick Motorsports. He's in the Xfinity race today, driving the number 88 HendrickCars.com Chevrolet for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly Earnhardt Miller. So... I would definitely look for those two especially to be strong. But the guy in third right now during practice at Watkins Glen International, the number 17, Roush Fenway Keselowski racing forward of Christopher Busher. <laughs> As we heard Dale Earnhardt Jr. say several times during the broadcast the past several weeks on the USA Network, Christopher Busher. And ultimately, Chris changed it on his car from Chris Busher to Christopher Busher. It sounds like his mom was really excited about that. But Chris did take part in the tire test at Watkins Glen International back in May, representing Ford. And he did finish third at Watkins Glen, his championship season in the Xfinity Series in 2015. Fourth is the number eight of Tyler Reddick, who, just like Kyle Larson last year, has become Chase Elliott's biggest threat on road courses this year. Just two cup wins to Tyler's name, but they're both road courses, July 3rd, Road America, and July 31st, the Indianapolis road course. Fifth is the number 14 of Chase Briscoe. As much as Chase struggled last year, his rookie season in the Cup Series, 
all three of his top tens were on road courses, Circuit of the Americas, Road America, and also Watkins Glen International. Like I said, I think Chase is a very, very underrated road course driver. Sixth is the hack himself, Alex Bowman. Alex, his best finish at Watkins Glen was 13th in 2019. And obviously, as you guys know, the, once we get back into all the Kyle Busch talk and everything, you know that's where I want Kyle Busch to be at in 2023. If you're going to fire Casey Kane one year early for lack of performance, you've got to fire Alex Bowman one year early as well. I mean, like I said, the Las Vegas race, it just played right into his lap. Three top fives on the year, ten top tens. His top ten at Michigan, that was his first top ten in nearly three months. Seriously, that's no excuse when you're driving a Hendrick Motorsports car. Just picture what Kyle Busch could do in that 48 car. Seventh is another car that Kyle Busch could be driving next year, the number 16 colleague racing Chevrolet of A.J. Allmendinger. We know how phenomenal A.J. is on road courses. Matter of fact, A.J. just jumped up to third on the speed charts, but the first cup win of A.J.'s career came at Watkins Glen in 2014 when he was driving that 47 car for Tad and Jody Geschechter and also Brad Doherty. Eighth is the watermelon man himself, Ross Chastain. You got to think about Ross, the first cup win of his career coming earlier this year, March 27th, Circuit of the Americas, when he went up against A.J. Allmendinger and Alex Bowman. Ninth is Joey Logano. Joey is a phenomenal road racer, especially at Watkins Glen. He won the cup race there in 2015 when Kevin Harvick ran out of gas, just two corners away from the checkered flag. And also, three Xfinity wins at Watkins Glen for Joey, 2015, 2016, and 2018. Rounding out the top 10 right now in Group A practice is the 23 of Bubba Wallace. I know Bubba, even though he finished fifth at the Indianapolis Road Course a few weeks ago, you know, Bubba, he'll be the first to tell you road courses. It's definitely not his cup of tea, especially Watkins Glen. His best finish in a cup car at Watkins Glen was 23rd in this race last year. But, I mean, just a little while ago, he was all the way up to second on the speed charts. So you never know. But obviously, as you guys know, I fully, fully expect Bubba to win next Saturday the regular season finale at Daytona International Speedway and punch his ticket into the playoffs for the first time in his career. 11th is the 38 of Todd Gillen. Todd, as I said, you know, he finished fourth at the Indianapolis Road Course just a few weeks ago. First top five and top ten finish of his career. You know, almost sort of like his father, David. David's best finish in the cup car was second to Kyle Busch at Sonoma in 2008. 12th is the 12th of Ryan Blaney. Ryan has one top five at Watkins Glen International back in 2019 when he came from the back of the field due to unapproved adjustments. 13th is the three of Austin Dillon. Austin has definitely improved a lot on road courses. He finally got a top 10 in the cup series on a road course earlier this year, Circuit of the Americas, albeit it was a 10th place finish. But I feel like he has definitely made improvements as far as road courses go. 14th is the 43 of Eric Jones. We know how solid Eric has been this year in that 43 car for Petty GMS Racing. But a lot, but they have struggled so much on road courses this year. And Eric, when he drove the 20 car for Joe Gibbs Racing, he did have a lot of good top five runs at Watkins Glen. 15th is the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr., but Ricky is definitely someone to avoid this weekend. Road course is definitely not his cup of tea. 16th is the 77 of Mike Rockenfeller from Germany, making his NASCAR Cup Series debut. 17th is his teammate, the 7 of Corey LaJoy. 18th, the 26th of Danny Kafiat, former Formula One racer from Russia. 
And 19th is the 78 of Kyle Telly driving BJ McLeod's 78 car. Kyle did win the 24 hours of Daytona last year. So it seems like Group A, is practice for them is in the books. Kyle Larson, he did surpass his teammate Chase Elliott with the fastest lap of the, ses the session, 15th one thousandths of a second faster. Then Chase Elliott, A.J. Allmendinger third, Chris Buescher fourth, Chase Briscoe fifth, Tyler Reddick sixth, Alex Bowman seventh, Ross Chastain eighth, Joey Logano ninth, and teammate Ryan Blaney rounding out the top ten. Eleventh was Bubba Wallace, 12th Todd Gilliland, 13th Eric Jones, 14th Austin Dillon, 15th Ricky Stenhouse Jr., 16th is Mike Rockefeller, 17th Corey LaJoy, 18th Danny Kafiat, and 19th is Kyle Tilley. So getting back to Kyle Busch as we wait for Group B to come out and begin their practice session. Like I said, Eric Amarola, he denied to Bob Pockris this morning. He said, oh, I haven't made any, any plans regarding 2023, whether I retire or unretire. Seriously, just like Alex Bowman in the 48 car, just picture how much better of a job Kyle Busch would do if he was in that 10 car with Stuart Haas Racing. And even more sickening is the other car, the other driver at Stuart Haas Racing, whose job should very, very well be in jeopardy. The 41 of Cole Custer. Greg Zipidelli, when he was doing a Zoom call the other day, Greg said more than likely that Cole Custer is going to be back in the 41 car in 2023, which is disgusting in my opinion. Just one cup win, two top fives, and I think nine top tens in two and a half full seasons in the Cup Series and Stuart Haas equipment. When you've seen how dominant Kevin Harvick has been in that equipment since 2014, you see the glimpses of promise and potential from Chase Briscoe. I don't care. I don't care if Cole's dad is the general manager of Stuart Haas Racing or not. There is no way that he should have such solid job security like that when he is gradually underperformed in that car. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the best thing that Cole Custer could do is drop back down to the Xfinity Series. I mean, we've seen this year, you know, he won the Xfinity race at California, February 26th. He came so close to winning a Circuit of the Americas. He ran solidly in other Xfinity races this year, Pocono. I know he's gonna be in the, the Xfinity race today at Watkins Glen. That is Cole Custer's prowess. He should stay in the Xfinity Series, try and redeem himself, rebuild his image, and then, hey, if another cup opportunity comes along, see what you can do. But, Cole Custer has absolutely no business being in the Cup Series right now with pathetic numbers like that. When your only two top ten finishes on the year, a pair of ninth place finishes, Atlanta, which has basically turned into a mini Daytona and Talladega, and then the Indianapolis road course, which is a joke in itself, as you guys know how I feel about that. So I think it's, like I said, I think it's absolutely appalling that more than likely Eric Amarola and Cole Custer, they're going to keep their jobs at Stuart Haas Racing next year when they sure as hell don't deserve to and you have an opportunity to get Kyle Busch, just like you had an opportunity to get Kyle Larson in one of those cars for 2021. And I know how badly Tony Stewart wanted that. And Ford Motor Company, they, they shot him right down. And I'm sure Tony is still kicking himself to this day. And I know that Kyle's contract with Hendrick Motorsports is up at the end of 2023, but there is no way in hell that Rick Hendrick is going to let him go after just three seasons, especially a 10-win season in the 2021 championship with the five number, the flagship number for Hendrick Motorsports, in my opinion, their original number. 
there is absolutely no way whatsoever that Rick Hendrick is going to let him walk. But I'm telling you, there's other options. Whether it's 23XI, it's starting to sound more and more like that might be the most realistic option for Kyle Busch is 23XI. I mean, obviously, Bubba Wallace, he just signed a multi-year extension this past Friday before they went to Richmond. So obviously, his job is nowhere near in jeopardy. But obviously, the biggest domino that you wonder about as far as 23XI and as far as Kyle Busch goes, it's his older brother, Kurt. Is Kurt going to come back? Honestly, is Kurt going to come back? I hope, I really, really hope that this is not a career-ending injury. I would hate to see Kurt Busch's career end like that. Do you know that when he had to miss the July 24th Cup race at Pocono Raceway, Kurt Busch is the only driver, only active driver still out there that was racing against Dale Earnhardt Sr. the day that he died at Daytona, February 18, 2001. And that day at Pocono Raceway, when Kurt Busch was not medically cleared to race, that was the first time since a cup race all the way back in 1961 that every driver in the field did not race against the late great Dale Earnhardt Sr. So when he retires, obviously when Kevin Harvick retires, because Kevin was the one that took over his car, but once those two are gone, you're truly talking about the end of an era. So I wonder with Kyle... Is he going to take over his brother's car, the 45 car, if unfortunately Kurt has to call it a career because of this concussion? I know Denny Hamlin. I know Denny is trying feverishly to get a third charter, obviously with Tyler Reddick coming aboard in 2024. But another scenario that I heard could happen for Kyle Busch in 2023, and honestly, I don't see this one happening, guys. But there is a possibility as, excuse me, Group B is about to begin their practice session at Watkins Glen International. Track is now open for practice. And real quick, guys, some of the notables that we have in practice for Group B. The 24 of William Byron, who's on the pole for the Xfinity race later today. The 20 of Christopher Bell. The 42 of Ty Dillon. The 34 of Michael McDowell. The 15 of Joey Hand. The 6 of Brad Keselowski, the 2 of Austin Sendrick, the 18 of Kyle Busch, the 41 of Cole Custer, the 21 of Harrison Burton, the 99 of Daniel Suarez, the 11 of Denny Hamlin, the 27 of Loris Hesemans, the 19 of Martin Trex Jr., the 45 of Ty Gibbs, is like I said, he continues to fill in for Kurt Busch this weekend and next weekend at Daytona International Speedway, the 51 of Cody Ware, the 4 of Kevin Harvick, and the 10, his teammate Eric Amarola. But getting back to Kyle Busch, one of the scenarios that Adam Stern from the Sports Business Journal talked about yesterday, there is a possibility that Kyle Busch could end up at Richard Childress Racing in 2023. The possibility that Tyler Reddick, the last year of his contract, could be bought out, which I hope it is at this point because Richard has just made a complete ass out of himself being such a bitter old man. Tyler gave you an 18-month notice that he's, oh, and also on the track, the 91, 2007 Formula One champion, Kimi Raikkonen from Finland, making his NASCAR Cup Series debut 
the Iceman has returned. After Kimi, like I said, the 2001 Formula One World Champion, 21 Formula One wins as well, the 2005 Monaco Grand Prix, along with four wins, the Belgian Grand Prix. That was definitely Kimi's best track in Formula One. And like I said, he retired from Formula One at the end of 2021. Just like I said, just wasn't really having fun anymore, as, as he basically alluded to. So really, really cool to see Kimi get a shot here in the third track house car with Justin Marks and Pitbull. But I cannot for the life of me see Kyle Busch driving that eight car for Richard Childress Racing. I just can't. There's already so much bad blood between the two. I mean, remember back in 2011, after the truck race at Kansas, when Kyle was running into one of Richard's drivers at the time, Joey Coulter, and Richard was like, he's like, oh, my watch. And he punched Kyle Busch. Classy fellow Richard Childress really is. Classy. Punching someone after the race is over. Oh, oh my watch. Yeah, just like when he walked all the way down to Brad Keselowski's pit at Michigan last year after Austin Dillon wrecked himself. Oh, I might be an old man, but I can still kick his ass. Amazes me. Absolutely amazes me that the lack of class that that man has. I wouldn't even call him a man. So there is no way that I could see Kyle Busch going over to Richard Childress Racing. I mean, that is just, that's like water and oil right then and there, those two. So amongst the notables in Group B so far, William Byron, the fastest time so far, the 45 of Ty Gibbs, 34 Michael McDowell, 18 Kyle Busch, 19 Martin Trex Jr., the 11 of Denny Hamlin, the two of Austin Sindrick, the 91 of Kimi Raikkonen, the 41 of Cole Custer, 99 Daniel Suarez, the 10 of Eric Almirola, the 20 of Christopher Bell, the <clears throat> 42 of Ty Dillon, 15 Joey Han, 4 Kevin Harvick, 21 Harrison Burton, 27 Loris Hesman's slowest car right now, Brad Keselowski. Unbelievable. So, ultimately, when it comes to Kyle Busch, Stuart Haas is out of the picture. I can't see him going to Richard Childress Racing. Like I said, just the, the bad blood that those two have had for such a long time. It sounds like colleague, you know, Chris Rice, the team president of colleague, it sounds like there's talk that he wants to expand. And there's talk that colleague might have some interest in the, <clears throat> the truck series. And we know Kyle Busch, he was adamant last weekend at Richmond Wherever he goes in 2023, whether it's 23XI and he stays with Toyota, whether it's a Chevrolet team like Colleague, Hendrick Motorsports, whatever the case may be, he said it's adamant as far as his truck program goes. Kyle said that he still wants to race in Cup for anywhere from about six to eight more years. And he said ultimately, once those days are over and his son Brexton turns 16, he wants to share a truck with Brexton until he turns 18 and could take over the truck full time. And then Kyle said, then that's when he'll be done for good as far as being a race car driver goes. So it's imperative. It's absolutely imperative wherever Kyle Busch goes as far as his truck program. And honestly, like I said, if I were, if I were Rick Hendrick 
And the last car getting ready to take a time here in practice is the 31 of Justin Moneymaker Haley. How ironic after we just talked about Colleague Racing. When I look at Colleague and I look at the possibility of Kyle Busch going there, to me, that's almost like Kyle. That was basically like the equivalent of Brad Keselowski going to Roush earlier this year. And look at how much it has affected his performance this year. You know, Colleague, like I said, they, they have really, really impressed me in Xfinity. They're definitely Junior Motorsports' biggest threat as far as the best Chevrolet team in the garage area. Obviously, with this expansion this year, they're definitely, they're definitely behind not only Junior Motorsports and Xfinity, but to a degree, Richard Childress Racing as well, even though AJ is still leading the regular season points. So obviously, you need one driver for that 16 car. You can't keep bouncing back and forth between AJ Allmendinger, Daniel Hamrick. We know that Noah Gregson is going to be moving up to the Cup Series in 2023, taking over the 42 car at Petty GMS that Ty Dillon is going to be vacating here in a few months. So if you want Kyle Busch in the 16 car, and it sounds like Matt Colley definitely has the money to do it, then do it. But it's a fair warning to Kyle Busch, and it's a fair warning to his legions of fans. Don't think that he's going to go set the world on fire. It, he could struggle a lot, just like Brad Keselowski has in that six car this year, this year at Roush Fenway Keselowski. So it remains to be seen what to expect regarding Kyle Busch's future. But like I said, if I'm Rick Hendrick, and you have three very talented drivers two champions, the defending champion in Kyle Larson, the champion of two years ago, Chase Elliott, a future champion in the making, William Byron, the 2017 Xfinity Championship team, now that I think of it. It's pretty obvious who you got to tell to pack their bags. It's Alex Bowman. Seven cup wins. The majority of those wins, though, they've been luck. Three top fives on the year, 10 top tens, 18 laps led on the year, and we're two weeks away from the playoffs beginning and let's face it you know he clinched the playoff spot but he got that playoff spot clinched after Kurt Busch announced that he couldn't race he wasn't clear to race for Watkins Glen or Daytona so they like I said Rick Hendrick he has to make this decision he has to get rid of Alex Bowman you know he and Kyle Busch they're now neighbors they're neighbors now Time heals all wounds. You know, Kyle said and did a lot of stupid things when he was 22 years old. We all did. We all did when we were 22. But I'm telling you, Rick Hendrick, he has the money, he has the resources, he has the funding. You're talking about the greatest team in NASCAR Cup Series history. Like, that is a superstar lineup right there. Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, William Byron. You got to get it done, man. You have to. Because it sounds like Trackhouse, when Justin Marks and Kimi Raikkonen, when they were meeting with the media this morning, the Project 91 car, the third Trackhouse car that you know Justin was talking about, he said ultimately they only have plans to run that car about six to eight races next year. And so honestly, I never really thought of, of Kyle Busch, the possibility of him going over to Trackhouse. I never really thought that, that was a possibility then. I don't think it's a possibility now. So, taking a look at some of the notables in Group B right now, William Byron is fourth, as I said, on the pole for the Xfinity race later today at Watkins Glen. And the guy that's going to be joining him on the front row, currently fifth in practice, Ty Gibbs, driving Kurt Busch's 45 car. 
and Ty did win the Xfinity race at Watkins Glen last year. Ninth is the 99 of Daniel Suarez. You know, Daniel, his rookie season in 2017, he did win a stage at Watkins Glen. He finished third behind his two teammates, Martin Trex Jr. and Matt Kenseth. This, you know, like I said, Daniel, he finally scored the first win of his career at Sonoma, a road course. Twelfth is the two of Austin Cendrick. His first Xfinity win came at Watkins Glen in 2019. You know he's going to be strong. Thirteenth, the 11 of Denny Hamlin, our 2016 winner at Watkins Glen. Fourteenth, the 22 of Joey Logano. Fifteenth, the 20 of Christopher Bell. Seventeenth, Kyle Busch, two-time winner at Watkins Glen, 2008 and 2013. 18th, the 34, Michael McDowell. You know how strong he always is on road courses. 20th, the 38 of Todd Gillen. 21st, another road racer. The 15 of Joey Hand. 23, the 6th, 23rd, excuse me, the 6th of Brad Keselowski. Three straight runner-up finishes at Watkins Glen, 2011 and 2012 to Marcus Ambrose, the only two cup wins of his career. Marcus, the only Australian to win a NASCAR. And then in 2013, finishing second to Kyle Busch. And, you know, Brad, for as much bad blood as he and Kyle have, Brad's decision not to knock Kyle out of the way, not to wreck him, not to spin him in 2013, that was ultimately the difference between Brad Keselowski not making the playoffs. 25th, the 19 of Martin Trex Jr., our 2017 winner at Watkins Glen. 26th, the 91 of Kimi Raikkonen, as I said, 2007 Formula One world champion. 27th, the 31 of Justin Moneymaker Haley. 28th, the guy that's won the last two NASCAR Cup Series races, the number four of Kevin Harvick, scoring the 60th win of his career this past Sunday at Richmond Raceway. But Kevin, right now, the 2006 winner at Watkins Glen, he is 28th. 29th, his teammate Eric Almarola in the GoBowling.com forward, the GoBowling.com, the Glen. Like I said, what a disgrace that more than likely he's going to be back next year in that car, along with his other teammate, Currently 31st, the 41 of Cole Custer. 32nd is the 21 of Harrison Burton. Harrison scored the best finish of his career at the Indianapolis Road Course when he finished third behind Tyler Reddick and also Austin Sendrick. 33rd is the 51 of Cody Ware. 36th is the 42 of Ty Dillon. 37th, the 27 of Loris Hesmans. And 38th, his teammate, the 26th, Danny Kafiat. So, real quickly, like I said, groups A and B, they will be qualifying here shortly. For tomorrow's GoBowling.com at the Glen, Watkins Glen International, the penultimate regular season race before next Saturday, Daytona International Speedway, the regular season finale. Now, real quick, taking a look at the qualifying order coming up here in just a little bit at Watkins Glen International. Obviously, it's a little different. <clears throat> So those participating in Group A of qualifying at Watkins Glen, the 26 of Danny Kafiat, the 78 of Kyle Tilley, the 77 of Mike Rockenfeller, the 16 of A.J. Allmendinger, the 7 of Corey LaJoy, the 38 of Todd Gellin, the 43 of Eric Jones, the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr., the 8 of Tyler Reddick, the 14 Chase Briscoe, number 3 Austin Dillon, Number 23, Bubba Wallace, the 48 of Alex Bowman, the 17 of Christopher Busher, <laughs> the 1 of Ross Chastain, the 5 of Kyle Larson, Penske teammates Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano, and the road course master himself to round out Group A, the 9 of Chase Elliott. On to Group B, the 91 of Kimi Raikkonen, 
the 27 of Loris Hesmans, the 15 of Joey Hand, his teammate, the 51, Cody Ware, the 45 of Ty Gibbs, the 34 of Michael McDowell, the 21 of Harrison Burton, the 41 of Cole Custer, the 42, Ty Dillon, the 31 of Justin Haley, the 99 of Daniel Suarez, the 6 of Brad Kozlowski, the car that he used to drive, the 2 of Austin Sendrick, the 10 of Eric Almarola, the 18 of Kyle Busch, the 24 of William Byron, the 11 of Denny Hamlin, and then two of his teammates, the 20 of Christopher Bell, the 19 of Martin Trex Jr., and the final car in Group B, as I said, the winner of the past two NASCAR Cup Series races at Michigan and Richmond, the number four of Kevin Harvick. And like I said, Kevin, the 60th win of his career this past Sunday at Richmond Raceway, tying him with Kyle Busch for ninth on NASCAR's all-time wins list. And who's next for Kyle to, or for Kevin, for both of them for that matter, to track down on that all-time wins list? The man, the myth, the legend himself, Dale Earnhardt Sr. with 76 wins. That is who is next for those two to chase on the all-time wins list. Do I think that they're going to get there in the end? Ultimately, I don't know. I still feel like Kevin Harvick, I, I could see Kevin going on a 2011 Tony Stewart-esque run into the deep into the playoffs. I could definitely see Kevin making it to the championship four at Phoenix, but this year has been dominated by Chevrolet. When you, especially when you look at Hendrick Motorsports, when you look at Chase Elliott, how dominant he's been this year. You know, Kyle Larson, I know he only has one win on the year, but I feel like, you know, he's he's definitely going to get hot in the playoffs, just like he did last year. The one of Ross Chastain, as long as Ross doesn't keep pissing people off on the racetrack, whether it's Kyle Busch, whether it's Denny Hamlin, Martin Trex Jr., seems like a lot of Gibbs people. Seems like the only one Ross hasn't pissed off yet in the Gibbs camp is is Christopher Bell. At the moment, like I said, that's my final four is Chase Elliott, Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, and Kevin Harvick. Like I said, Toyota, they have just been so up and down this year. I don't really see any consistency out of, say, Denny Hamlin or Kyle Busch. Christopher Bell, he's very, very streaky. I mean... I could see him as a dark horse, but maybe to the round of eight. And then ultimately, like I said, um, Martin Trex Jr., if he doesn't win on Sunday, because we know how much he struggles at Daytona, how he always seems to get caught up in something there. So there's a strong, strong possibility that Martin Trex Jr. could miss the playoffs for the first time since 2014. There's a strong possibility that Ryan Blaney, who just signed a contract extension with Team Penske, a multi-year contract extension, Ryan Blaney could be missing the playoffs for the first time since his rookie year in 2016, which is mind-boggling in itself. I mean, think of it. We've had 15 different winners on the year. Start off with Austin Sendrick, the first win of his career in the Daytona 500, the first rookie to win the Daytona 500. Kyle Larson at California. And when Larson won California, you figured, well, you know, he's here comes another... 10-win season, just like he had in 2021, and then a week later at Las Vegas, for God knows whatever reason, he runs so wide through turns three and four on the last lap and basically gifted Alex Bowman his ticket into the playoffs. Then Chase Briscoe, the first win of his career at Phoenix. William Byron, the first two-time winner on the year at Atlanta and Martinsville, but man, they have fallen off a cliff ever since they won at Martinsville. Although really with, with Byron, I think 
mentally, he hasn't been the same ever since Joey Logano wrecked him to win in Darlington. But getting back to the winners that we have had so far in 2022, Kyle Busch, the Bristol Dirt Race when Chase Briscoe spun himself and Tyler Reddick, and at this point, who knows, that very likely could be Kyle Busch's last win in the 18 car. Ross Chastain, the first two wins of his career, Circuit of the Americas and Talladega. And like I said, Chase Elliott has just dominated this year. Four wins on the year. Dover, <clears throat> Nashville, the second Atlanta race, and then, of course, Pocono, which was basically a gift after they disqualified Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch. Denny himself, two wins on the year. Richmond and the Coca-Cola 600. But like I said, they have just been far too inconsistent this year. Far too inconsistent. Joey Logano, two wins on the year. Like I said, when he wrecked William Byron to win a Darlington, the inaugural gateway race. Kurt Busch at Kansas. But like I said, I don't know. It sounds like they're still going to grant Kurt Busch that waiver. But, I mean, who knows if or when he's going to come back. You look at the 99 of Daniel Suarez, the first one of his career. Tyler Reddick, the first two wins of his career. Road courses, Road America, and Indianapolis, albeit being a lame duck. And, like I said, Richard Childress just being a bitter old man. We've had so many different winners on this year. It's absolutely crazy. Christopher Bell at New Hampshire. Like I said, I could see him being an underdog deep into the playoffs, maybe into the round of eight but I just ultimately don't see him getting to the championship four. And then you also look at Kevin Harvick. Like I said, you know, Kevin, I mean, everyone thought that he was done, that he was washed up, that his days of winning were behind him. And like I said, to win these past two, these past two weeks, Michigan and Richmond, when a lot of people thought that he was going to miss the playoffs for the first time since 2009, there is no driver, seriously, there is no driver in the sport when his back is against the wall and people doubt him and think that he's done. There is nobody that does a better job than Kevin Harvick. And like I said, even at 46 years old going on 47, even though Stuart Haas and, and Ford, Ford, in my opinion, they've, they've been a distant third this year behind Chevrolet and Toyota. Chevrolet is just on a league of their own, obviously, especially road courses this year. So as far as who to pick for tomorrow, you definitely have to look at, at bow ties for sure. Whether it's Larson, Elliott, Almondinger, you know, he's definitely going to be strong. Chastain, Suarez, Tyler Reddick. Like I said, Chevrolet, it seems like they definitely have a stranglehold right now as far as the road courses go and how dominant they are. All right, folks, as we are inching closer and closer to NASCAR Cup Series qualifying for the GoBowling.com at the Glen, let's take a quick look at the practice times. As I said, fastest, the number five of Kyle Larson. Second was his teammate, the nine of Chase Elliott. Third, the road course master himself, the 16 of A.J. Allmendinger. Fourth was the 24 of William Byron. And fifth was the 45 of Ty Gibbs. Sixth was the 17 of Chris Buescher, who took part in that tire test of Watkins Glen back in May, along with William Byron and Martin Trex Jr. Seventh, the 14 of Chase Briscoe. Eighth in car number eight, Tyler Reddick. Ninth in car 99, Daniel Suarez. And rounding out the top 10, the 48 of Alex Bowman. 
11th was the one of Ross Chastain, 12th, the 31 of Justin Moneymaker Haley, 13th, the 2 of Austin Sendrick, 14th, the 11 of Denny Hamlin, 15th, the 22 of Joey Logano, 16th was the 20 of Christopher Bell, 17th was the 12 of Ryan Blaney, 18th and car 18, although not going to be much longer, Kyle Busch. 19th was the 34 of Michael McDowell, and rounding out the top 20 is the 23 of Bubba Wallace. 21st was Todd Gillen, 22nd, the 15 of Joey Han, Eric Jones, 23rd, Brad Keselowski, 24th, almost a full second slower than Kyle Larson. 25th, Austin Dillon, Brad's BFF. 26th is the 19 of Martin Trex Jr., definitely a huge, huge shock when you consider how strong he's always been at Watkins Glen. 27th is the 91 of Kimi Raikkonen, 28th the 41 of Cole Custer, wow, a trio of Stuart Haas Fords right there, 29th Eric Amarola, and 30th Kevin Harvick, safe to say, I don't think he's going to three-peat tomorrow. 31st is a KHI client, the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr., then another KHI client, the 21 of Harrison Burton. 33rd is Cody Ware, 34th Mike Rockenfeller, 35th Corey LaJoy. 36th, Ty Dillon, 37th is Laura's Hesemans, 38th, Danny Kafiat, and dead last and 39th, the 78th of Kyle Tilly. So the way that it works here, NASCAR Cup Series qualifying on road courses. Well, actually, as a matter of fact, you know, <clears throat> what happened was Christopher Bell, I'm just looking here, Bob Pockers tweeted that Christopher Bell apparently blew an engine and Ty Gibbs appeared to wheel hop and crashed into a tire barrier, so you know those two won't be able to qualify here in just a little bit, per the new rules. Matter of fact, Bob Pockra said that Group B is getting about five more minutes of practice. And also, one of the plans that I have for this coming week, currently, right now, Watkins Glen International is a great friend of mine and someone that has been on this podcast before. Happy birthday to the man, the myth, the legendary Joshua Manley at Watkins Glen for his birthday weekend with his wife, Stephanie. I plan on having Josh on, on the show sometime early next week to talk about his experience at Watkins Glen International, kind of like I did back in May when I had Nick Bonk on to talk about his experience at Dover, deciding to go back on Monday when it was postponed due to rain, and then ultimately seeing Chase Elliott win in person. Now, as a Brad Keselowski fan, Josh and I will be the first to tell you there's no way in hell Brad Keselowski is going to win tomorrow at Watkins Glen. When you're 24th in practice, you're almost a full second slower than Kyle Larson. But there is a possibility that Brad Keselowski could go to victory lane tomorrow as a car owner with the 17 of Christopher Busher. <laughs> I'm sure Dale Earnhardt Jr. would have been correcting me if he was listening to this podcast. But like I said, Chris... He has evolved into a very, very underrated road racer. And Brad, I mean, RFK, Roush Fenway, Keselowski, you expected them to be good at Daytona and Talladega this year, and they have been. I mean, they won both the qualifying races for the Daytona 500. Brad won race one. Busher won race two. Probably had cars that could have finished one, too, if they didn't have all the issues that they did at the end of the Daytona 500. But other than that, I mean, obviously, I expect there to be some struggles this year, but I didn't expect Brad Keselowski to run as bad as he has at most places. Of course, it didn't help the 100-point penalty for the rear bumper panel after the March race at Atlanta. That just about all but killed his season right then and there. And, like, I've talked about, whether it was with Josh or with my fiance Kelly, that, you know, 
once Brad realized my season is all shot to hell, the only way I'm basically going to make it is if I win Talladega or Daytona, and he self-destructed at Talladega, speeding on pit road not once but twice. You know, Busher, up until he had to miss Gateway because he tested positive for COVID-19, up until then, Busher had a chance to make it into the playoffs just based on points. But obviously, missing that race at Gateway, it's definitely must-win territory for both of them now. And Chris has always evolved into a very, very good road racer. The first Xfinity win of his career came in 2014 at Mid-Ohio. And then, like I said, his championship season in the Xfinity Series in 2015, he finished third at Watkins Glen. Joey Logano ended up winning that day. And then, even, like I said, this year, I mean, he finished second to Daniel Suarez at Sonoma when Daniel got the first win of his career. And he ran so strong at Road America, ran, ran inside the top five majority of the day, got passed with just a couple laps to go, still finished sixth. And look at, look at Gateway, or not Gateway, look at Indianapolis, the road course, when Busher's car caught on fire just a few laps into the race. They put the fire out, he's three laps down, dead last in 38th, makes all three of those laps up and ends up finishing 10th, while his car owner, Brad Keselowski, spins out three times by himself and finishes 20th. And look at how strong both RFK cars were at Richmond this past Sunday with Brad qualifying eighth. And, you know, Busher would be the first to tell you that Richmond has never really been a great racetrack for him. And they were terrible on Saturday in practice and in qualifying. I think Chris was 29th in practice. He qualified 18th while Brad Keselowski qualified eighth. Then they start the race. Brad drives all the way up to fourth. He's on Kyle Larson's ass for third. Ends up finishing fourth in the first stage. They get blocked in by Christopher Bell on pit road, and it was basically all downhill from there. Matt McCall, as he's done all year long, dialed the car out and made it worse and worse and worse as the race went on, and Brad ended up finishing a lap down in 15th. Whereas Chris Buescher, Scott Graves, and the 17 team, on the other hand, they made that car better and better and better as the race went on. Got all the way up to second with just a couple laps to go and was closing in on Kevin Harvick. And ultimately just just didn't have enough tire left there at the end. And Christopher Bell was able to bypass Christopher Busher for second. And I think if that race could have been anywhere from about one, two, maybe three laps longer, I think that Christopher Bell probably would have gotten Kevin Harvick at the end of that race. So it remains to be seen. Are we going to have a 16th winner tomorrow? Are we going to end up with 17 winners for that matter? And if we end up with 17 winners, more than likely, like I said, Kurt Busch is going to be odd man out just because he's, he's missed these past six races. Well, five tomorrow and then six next weekend with Daytona. So obviously, if that happens, if we get a different winner tomorrow, say if it's, you know, Truex, for instance, like Josh predicted, and say we go to Daytona and like Blaney... Bubba, Keselowski, Stenhouse, whoever, one of them, you know, they get a win. And all of a sudden, like I said, you got 17 winners on the year. And Kurt Busch gets knocked out. Seriously, what would be the point in even coming back and running the risk of injuring yourself even further? So as I said, Group A is about to begin qualifying here at Watkins Glen International. Now, they will take the top five from Group A and Group B, the five fastest from both groups, and then we will have a 10-driver shootout for the pole. 
to see who will be on, who will be on the pole and who starts in the top 10 for tomorrow's race at Watkins Glen International. So, real quick, Group A, as I said, the 26 of Danny Kafiat, the 78 of Kyle Tilley, the 77 of Mike Rockenfeller, the 16 of A.J. Allmendinger, the 7 of Corey LaJoy, the 38 of Todd Gilliland, the 43 of Eric Jones, the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr., the 8 of Tyler Reddick, the 14 of Chase Briscoe, the 3 of Austin Dillon, the 23 of Bubba Wallace, the 48 of Alex Bowman, the 17 of Christopher Busher, the 1 of Ross Chastain, the 5 of Kyle Larson, the 12 of Ryan Blaney, the 22 of Joey Logano, and the 9 of Chase Elliott. And all Chase needs tomorrow, folks, he just needs 4 points. So basically, Chase just needs to finish 7th in the first stage at Watkins Glen tomorrow and the regular season championship and the additional 15 playoff points that come along with it will be Chase's. So right then and there, you're talking at least 40 playoff points to start the playoffs for Chase Elliott. Like I said, I know that they struggled at Michigan and, you know, Richmond, they struggled a bit on Saturday. They qualified 23rd and Chase drove his way all the way up into the top five and ultimately ended up finishing fifth. I mean, maybe, like I said, maybe he, Alan Guff's the center of the nine team. Maybe they're just experimenting, trying some stuff out for the playoffs. But ultimately, when I look at Group A, who I ex expect to move on to the final round of qualifying, obviously the two Hendrick teammates of Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson. I'm also going to say the eight of Tyler Reddick with how strong he's been on road courses this year. So, let's see here. So, Elliot Larson, Tyler Reddick. And then I'm going to say Chase Briscoe. He's qualified very, very strong on road courses this year. Qualified second to Chase Elliott at Road America, 4th of July weekend. And then that final spot, I'm going to say either the 17 of Busher or the one of Ross Chastain. So... <clears throat> Group A is officially underway with qualifying for the NASCAR Cup Series at Watkins Glen International, and also some history that's going to be made tomorrow as well. We are going to have a record seven countries represented as far as the drivers go in tomorrow's NASCAR Cup Series race at Watkins Glen International. Obviously, as we know, majority of the drivers, so 39 drivers tomorrow, but a majority of the drivers with the exception of Daniel Suarez, who is from Mexico, but a majority of the drivers are from the United States of America. So I just want to take a look at some of the international flavor that we're going to have in tomorrow's NASCAR Cup Series race at Watkins Glen International. As I said, Finland's Kimi Raikkonen, the 2007 Formula One world champion, 21 Formula One wins, the 2005 Monaco Grand Prix, won the Belgian Grand Prix several, several times. Another former Formula One driver, Russia's Danny Kafiat, he raced in Formula One, 110 starts, and the 2013 GP3 Series champion. Germany's Mike Rockenfeller, the 2013 DTM champion, the 2010 24 Hours of Le Mans winner, and the 2010 Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona winner. Loris Hesemans from the Netherlands, he's a two-time NASCAR Whelan Euro Series champion. Kyle Tilley from England, the 2021 Asian Le Mans Series champion and the 2021 Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona winner. And as I said, Mexico's Daniel Suarez, the 2016 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, and also 10 wins in NASCAR's Mexico Series. So, like, that is 
what I enjoy the most about this field for tomorrow is such a diverse field and like I said a record amount of countries that are going to be represented in tomorrow's NASCAR Cup Series race at Watkins Glen and I really hope you know Kimi Raikkonen I know that he sort of dipped his toes in the water a little bit in 2011 when he left Formula One for the first time and he did a truck race and an Xfinity race at Charlotte Motor Speedway driving for Kyle Busch and I was hoping that you know there was something that was going to come out of it for Kimi and then ultimately he went back to Formula One in 2012. He drove for Lotus, had some back issues, went back to Ferrari in 2014. It's pretty crazy to think that he's the last world champion that Ferrari has ever had going all the way back to 2007. But went back to Ferrari, obviously didn't have quite the success he did during his first stint there, 2007 to 2009. Ultimately got pushed out the door for Charles Leclerc, who undoubtedly is the Alex Bowman of Formula One. He's definitely the biggest crybaby that, that they have in the sport. And Kimi had to finish the final three seasons of his career driving a crappy Alfa Romeo car, getting engines from Ferrari. And you, you could tell, you could tell as much as I love Kimi, but that 2021 Formula, Formula One season, you could tell that it was definitely time for him to retire from Formula One and get to try something else. And I'm so thankful that Justin Marks, that, you know, he flew all the way to Switzerland earlier this year. He talked to Kimi about doing it, you know, doing this race, the Project 91 car, the first race for the Project 91 car. And Kimi is definitely going to have an awesome group of people on that car. So taking a look right now, as I said, Group A underway, just three minutes, three and a half minutes into qualifying. Fastest to no surprise, the number nine of Chase Elliott. Second, the 17 of Christopher Buescher. Third is Kyle Larson. Fourth is Bubba Wallace. And fifth right now is Alex Bowman. Sixth is his one of his best friends, the 14 of Chase Briscoe. Seventh is the one of Ross Chastain. Eighth, Todd Gillen. Ninth is Tyler Reddick. That's definitely a shock. Tenth is Eric Jones. Eleventh, Ryan Blaney. Twelfth, Corey LaJoy. Thirteenth, Danny Kafiat. Fourteenth, Kyle Tilley. Fifteenth, Mike Rockenfeller. And these drivers have not posted a time yet in Group A. Austin Dillon, A.J. Allmendinger, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and the 22 of Joey Logano. So looking ahead to tomorrow's race, as I said, the GoBowling.com at the Glen, Watkins Glen International, 3 o'clock on the USA Networks, taking a look at some of the notable things to keep an eye on for tomorrow. As I said, 90 laps at Watkins Glen. And what I love is USA, I mean, it's basically NBC. NBC Sports, but USA, they're going to be doing the radio-style broadcast that they usually do every year at Watkins Glen. So in the booth is Rick Allen with play-by-play -play duties alongside of Steve Letarte. And Steve was able to go to Victory Lane four times in his career at Watkins Glen as a crew member on Jeff Gordon's 24 car, the three straight wins at Watkins Glen from 1997 to 1999, and then also in 2001. Now, as part of the radio-style broadcast, when they go up turn one and through the Estes, will be Mike Bagley of the Motor Racing Network. Then, covering up the, the back straightaway and into the chicane, will be Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr., as much as he didn't like road courses, as much as he struggled on them, he was pretty damn decent at Watkins Glen at the beginning of his career. Now, his second consecutive championship season in the NASCAR Bush Series in 1999, he did pass the road racing master himself, Ron Fellows, the last lap of the race going down to turn one. Dale Jr. just 
heavily outbraked Ron Fellows going into that last corner. And hey, he might have only led one lap that day, but it was the one that counted most. And another thing, like I said, Dale Earnhardt Sr., as great as he was, I mean, he was he was good on road courses, but it definitely wasn't his cup of tea. And like Mike Joy talked about a few weeks ago when he was on the Dale Jr. Download, you know, Mike has been in this sport. He's covered it for such a long time. And he said that his he said that his dad really didn't care too much for road courses. And towards the end of his life, like I said, he was really, really starting to put an effort into becoming a better road course driver. And that's why they ran the 24 hours of Daytona together just two weeks before Dale's death. But Dale Earnhardt Jr., just like his father in the Cup Series, <clears throat> his best finish in a Cup car at Watkins Glen was third in 2003. And realistically, looking back at, on that 2003 race of Watkins Glen International, Dale Jr. honestly had that race in the bag. And I know that year, he, Tony Uri Sr., Tony Uri Jr., they put so much effort into making Dale Jr. a better road course driver because this was the first time that he had a legitimate shot at winning a Winston Cup championship. And they knew they had to improve on the road courses. And Dale Jr. passed Jeff Burton for the lead. He's starting to check out on the field. And Rusty Wallace goes off into the gravel trap. And credit to Robbie Gordon, Kevin Hamlin, the 31 team at RCR. They made the call to have Robbie come down pit road knowing that it was going to bring out a full course caution. They beat Dale Jr. to pit road. Dale Jr. ultimately had to pit under caution. Drove his ass off getting back up through the field. But by the time it was all said and done, he ended up finishing third behind Robbie Gordon and Scott Pruitt. Scott was another great road racer, one of, the, one of the greatest sports car drivers there ever was. And that was ultimately the difference. Dale Earnhardt Sr. finished third on three separate occasions at Watkins Glen. NASCAR's first time there during the modern era, 1986. Then it was also 1989 and 1994. But obviously, even though Dale Sr. never won at Watkins Glen, who could ever forget that gritty, and I mean gritty, pole run that he went on in 1996, just two weeks after that horrible crash at Talladega Super Speedway, a wreck that looked 20 times worse than the wreck that would kill him in 2001. When he got speared into the wall driver's side, then got hit by Kenny Schrader, while he was on his roof, as I said, fractured his sternum, his one collarbone, and then they go to Indianapolis. He has to get out of the car under the first caution. They put Mike Skinner in the car. Dale goes to Watkins Glen, basically driving with one hand, and goes out there, wins the 22nd and final pole of his career with a new track record. And it's like Ned Jarrett, when they were doing qualifying that day on ESPN, he, the late great Benny Parsons, and the late great Bob Jenkins, as Dale came across the line and knocked Ned's son, Dale, off the pole, you know, Ned Jarrett said it right then and there. He's, he's like, not only did he sit on the pole, he just broke the track record. And they had those t-shirts that were made. Dale Earnhardt on the pole to Glen. It hurts so good. August 9th, 1996. And those t-shirts, they sold out like crazy. And the plan was David Green was going to be on standby. And he was going to get in Dale's three-car during that first caution flag. And Dr. Jerry Punch, like I said, who was helping Dale out with all the injuries and everything, 
he said, all right, as he was interviewing him on the grid that day, and he's strapped in the car, he said, all right, champ, what's the plan for today? And Dale said, all right, caution, I'll come out. But he dominated that race. And once that first caution flag came out, David Smith, Bobby Hutchins, all the guys on that three team, they basically looked at Dave and they said, you know, we appreciate you coming here. We appreciate you being on standby, but there was no way in hell Dale's going to get out of that car. And ultimately, it sort of bit him at the end. I mean, he drove so hard that his body was aching badly at the end of that race, and he had to sell for six that day. And his old rival, Jeff Bodine, ended up picking, the, picking up the final win of his career. But definitely one of the grittiest performances, undoubtedly, of Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s career. Then, after Dale Jr., like I said, he'll cover the backstretch and then the chicane, then over to the carousel and all the way to the start-finish line will be Jeff Burton on the call. And Jeff's best finish at Watkins Glen was second in 2001 to Jeff Gordon. So, taking a look right now, a little bit of a delay here in Group A of qualifying as Kyle Tilley just wrecked. So, looking right now, the order is Chase Elliott, Christopher Busher, Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace completing the top five, followed by Ross Chastain, Chase Briscoe, Todd Gilliland, Tyler Reddick. Like I said, I'm definitely shocked that Tyler's down in ninth with how dominant he's been on road courses the past month. Eric Jones, Ryan Blaney, Corey LaJoy, Mike Rockenfeller, Danny Kafiat, Kyle Tilley, and as I said, Austin Dillon, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Joey Logano, and A.J. Allmendinger. They still have not put up a time yet. Although, Stenhouse and Austin Dillon, like I said, they have just hit the track for the first time in qualifying, so the only ones that are left to put up a time are Joey Logano and A.J. Allmendinger. So tomorrow's race will be 90 laps long, like Watkins Glen usually is. And I would say, like, Watkins Glen, it's definitely the shortest race of the year. I mean, it's only 90 laps, stage one, lap 20, stage two, lap 40. So 220.5 miles. So this is definitely the shortest race of the year. And as we have become accustomed to in stage racing ever since it came about in 2017, that you're going to pit before they close pit road with two laps to go in those stages. I mean, we see it all the time. We see it all the time with you know Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Tyler Reddick. Now, obviously, some other guys, like I said, that need the points, like, say, Ryan Blaney, for instance. Like, that's the one thing I've noticed with Ryan Blaney, Jonathan Hassler, and the 12th team. I mean, they have the 16th and final spot. So they have no choice. They have to stay out on the racetrack, and they have to get those stage points. And, yeah, I mean, you'll end up winning a stage like Ryan did at Road America back on July 3rd. But that's the price you pay. You're going to come down pit road. You're going to pit. You're going to restart somewhere from like about 20th to 30th or whatnot. And you have to methodically work your way back up through the field. And we know, like I said, when it comes to Watkins Glen and when it comes to these road courses, people are, are going to run over everyone, especially as, as it comes down to late in the race. I mean, I could think of countless times. Like I remember, like I said, Dale Earnhardt Jr., road courses were never his cup of tea. 2012 Watkins Glen race he's running third late in the race Bobby Labonte lays a bunch of oil down Dale Jr. spins out and finishes 28th and then you look at someone like Jimmy Johnson for instance you know Jimmy was just barely hanging around the top 10 top 15 the majority of the day all that carnage at the end you know with Dale Jr. spinning in the oil Kyle Busch getting dumped on the last lap by Brad Keselowski all that carnage and everything and Jimmy Johnson ended up finishing third when he really didn't have that great of a car that day but surprisingly, 
Moving into the top five right now, Group A of qualifying is the three of Austin Dillon. So at the moment, that would knock out the number five of Kyle Larson. And that's the other factor, too, is Kyle Larson, he was the only car in pre-race inspection or pre-qualifying inspection this morning that failed. Not once, but twice. And when you fail twice, you lose a crew member for the weekend. And that crew member is Kyle Larson's car chief, Jesse Saunders. And also because of that, you lose your pit selection. So Kyle is going to get some crappy pit stall wherever it may be. But to no surprise, second right now behind Chase Elliott is the 16 of A.J. Allmendinger. And as I said, A.J., what a phenomenal talent he is, especially at Watkins Glen, the first cup win of his career back in 2014, that amazing battle. He and Marcus Ambrose had the two of them leaning on each other, but not wrecking each other, not spinning the other out. So A.J. and Chris Buescher, second and third right now in Group A of qualifying. You know those two are definitely going to be dark horses. <clears throat> so the only driver so far that has not posted a time, 10, 10 and a half minutes into Group A qualifying is the 22 of Joey Logano. Then again, that's nothing new. Paul Wolf, like I said, whether it was working with Brad Keselowski, working with Joey Logano, Paul usually in group qualifying sessions at road courses, he always sends his driver out as late as possible. And sometimes that, that may bite the driver, but also it's a smart move on Paul's part trying to save those tires. Because when you look ahead to tomorrow, just like any road course, you have to take care of the equipment. You have to take care of the brakes especially, the transmission, but also the tires. Like, you would not think at road courses, but tire wear and tire conservation is something that can either work for a driver or work against them. Like A.J. Allmendinger, for instance, when he would dominate road courses, like, you know, he would dominate qualifying when he was in that 47 car for Tad and Jody Geschechter and Brad Doherty. Like, he would go out and qualifying and, and lay down such a fast lap and win the pole by, like, say, three or four tenths of a second. But then, as soon as the race would start, he would start dropping like a rock just because he would abuse the crap out of his equipment, out of the tires, out of the brakes, out of the transmission. And even though he won Watkins Glen in 2014, look at how many other times he had cars capable of winning at Watkins Glen or Sonoma but ultimately wasn't around at the end because he abused his equipment. Sonoma in 2014, that was another one. Just a few months before he got that first one at Watkins Glen. Probably had the car to beat, but drove the car way too hard. Ended up getting wrecked by Dale Jr. that day, and like I said, his, his day was done just right then and there. So that's the biggest thing. And then also, when you consider you have the chicane after you hit the backstretch. You have, like I said, the tight bus stop chicane you definitely cannot blow through that chicane because you're talking, like I said, just like the Indy Road Course, just like the Charlotte Roval, you're going to inquire a massive, massive penalty and look at what happens in the end. Like I said, Ross Chastain, when he, he cut the corner at Indianapolis and he advanced ahead of Tyler Reddick, didn't matter. Even if Ross would have crossed that finish line first, he ultimately ended up finishing about 27th or so that day. So... I spoke a little too early about Tyler Reddick struggling in qualifying because he just knocked off the nine of Chase Elliott, putting down the fastest lap so far in Group A. Tyler Reddick, Chase Elliott, A.J. Allmendinger, Christopher Buescher, and Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon right now, if it stands, would move on to the final round of qualifying. 
And those that wouldn't would be Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson, Chase Briscoe, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, Todd Gilliland, Ryan Blaney, Eric Jones, Corey LaJoy, Mike Rockenfeller, Danica Fiat, Kyle Tilly, Joey Logano still is the only one that has not posted a lap yet. And then also you have to consider Group B, as we talked about, you know, Christopher Bell blew an engine, Ty Gibbs wrecked, so it sounds like more than likely those two will not be able to post any times, which is unfortunate because, like I said, both of them, I feel, are very, very underrated road course drivers. And when you talk about, <clears throat> when you talk about road courses, and you talk about the 18 especially, with Kyle, with what he said this morning, without a doubt, he is not going to be in that 18 car come 2023, and Ty Gibbs... Joe's grandson he's definitely and that's the thing and I know a lot of people are like oh well you know he's Joe's grandson he you know he's he's got such an easy path just like the Dillons do at least Ty Gibbs has the freaking talent and the class to back it up unlike Austin Dillon I mean you're talking about a kid an 18 year old kid last year his very first Xfinity race the Daytona road course very first time in an Xfinity car and he goes out there and he beats Austin Cedric and AJ Allmendinger two of the very, very best when it comes to road courses. So the best five-lap averages, because obviously the way that practice is anymore, and especially on a road course, you're not going to get very, very many laps in when it comes to practice and or qualifying. But best 10-lap averages. <laughs> the five of Kyle Larson has the best 10-lap average. Second is Tyler Reddick. Third is Ricky Stenhouse Jr., fourth is Alex Bowman, but like I said, I would not expect much out of them tomorrow. As far as the best five-lap averages, <clears throat> first, the best five-lap average is the five of Kyle Larson, second, the 24 of William Byron, and third, the number nine of Chase Elliott. So like I said, you definitely have to look for Chevrolets to be the manufacturer to beat tomorrow at Watkins Glen International. And also, the other funny thing about this Xfinity race later today, 3.30 on USA Network, as I said, William Byron, he's on the pole. He's driving the 17, the number 17, HendrickCars.com Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. Kyle Larson, he's starting third in the number 88, HendrickCars.com Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports. So that's definitely going to be a little confusing right, right then and there. Like I said, having the two of them start, like I said, Byron starting first, and Larson starting right behind him in third. That's definitely going to be hilarious to watch. But like I said, look out for Ty Gibbs. I mean, he's starting second. He's starting second and, like I said, winning the Daytona road course, winning at Watkins Glen last year. Like I said, I look for this to be a battle today between Ty Gibbs, A.J. Allmendinger, and then also, like I said, the two Hendrick Cup drivers of Byron and Kyle Larson. But that's the other thing. Look at some of the names. Like I said, Kimi Raikkonen was 20th in his first ever practice in the NASCAR Cup Series. And look at some of the names that he beat in that practice. Bubba Wallace, Brad Keselowski, Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, Martin Trex Jr., Kevin Harvick. That's pretty impressive in itself. And Kimi was only 21 one-hundredths of a second slower than Kyle Busch. Very, very impressive. Like I said, I don't think that Kimi is going to set the world on fire tomorrow, but I definitely look for him to be very, very strong. So, with that being said, Group A qualifying has come to an end, 
and those that will be advancing to the final round of qualifying at a Group A, the 9 of Chase Elliott, the 5 of Kyle Larson, the 8 of Tyler Reddick, the 16 of A.J. Allmendinger, and the 17 of Christopher Busher. And Group B, NASCAR Cup Series qualifying at Watkins Glen International is underway. Currently, the fastest in Group B is the 24 of William Byron, Willie B. Woo! As I said, the pole sitter for today's Xfinity race at Watkins Glen International. Definitely my pick to win the Xfinity race later on. We know how badly of a good run William Byron needs, though, in the 24 this Sunday at Watkins Glen as we have just two races left before the regular season begins. Second is the 34, Michael McDowell, the road racing ace himself. Third is the 31 of Justin Moneymaker Haley. And currently fourth, after being 24th in NASCAR Cup Series practice, is the number six of Brad Keselowski. And like I said, as much of a struggle as this year has been for Brad Keselowski, Matt McCall, and the six team, they're definitely showing a lot of speed and a lot of potential on the road courses. And rounding out the top five right now is the 99 of Daniel Suarez. Sixth is the 18 of Kyle Busch. He is just three one-hundredths of a second slower than Daniel Suarez is. Seventh is the kid that's going to be taking over his car next year, the 18 car. Ty Gibbs in the 45 car filling in for his older brother. I guess the damage that Ty had earlier in practice wasn't all that bad. Eighth is the 15 of Joey Hand. Ninth is the 11 of Denny Hamlin. And tenth, a huge surprise at the moment, 10th right now in Group B qualifying at Watkins Glen International is the two of Austin Sendrick. 11th is Kimi Raikkonen. 12th is Martin Trex Jr. 13th, Kevin Harvick. Like I said, not been a good day so far for two former champions and Watkins Glen winners. 14th is the 42 of Ty Dillon. 15th, Cole Custer. Harrison Burton, 16th. Loris Hesemans, 17th. <laughs> Eric Almarola out of the 18 cars in Group B that have posted a time so far, he's the slowest. Four seconds slower than William Byron right now. Yeah, he definitely deserves to be in that 10 car for one more year. As I said, Christopher Bell blew an engine, so he will not be allowed to post a qualifying time. And the 51 of Cody Ware has not posted a time yet either. So, as I'm looking in Group B, as I said, William Byron, Rudy Fugel, and the 24 team, to me, that was definitely a turning point in their season when they were just three laps away from winning at Darlington on Mother's Day. And Joey Logano drives into turn three, 10 car lengths deep, deeper than he had all day. And he hits William. William hits the wall in between three and four. Joey goes on to win the, win the race, and William limps across the finish line 13th. As much as I love William Byron, and as much as I agreed with him that evening at Darlington when he called Joey Logano a piece of shit, because let's face it, I mean, he is the most reckless driver out there. But William... And Sean Rosansky will tell you this, being a William Byron fan himself. William has to be more aggressive. He has to stand up for himself, and he has to take matters into his own hands. I mean, here we are three months later, and he hasn't wrecked Joey Logano since then. Hasn't bumped him, hasn't moved him out of the way, spun him out. I mean, when Joey was dominating the race on Sunday at Richmond, and he came up to lap William Byron, that would have been a perfect opportunity right then and there to send, send Logano right into the fence and give a message that I'm not going to put up with your shit anymore. So William, like I said, I think that he's he's a great kid. I think that he's a good driver. I feel like we haven't seen his full potential just yet, but he's got to quit playing nice. 
Michael McDowell, like I said, it's definitely must-win territory for him now after the 100-point penalty that he had after finishing sixth at Pocono. They found some stuff on the car that they didn't like. Michael has done an exceptional job on road courses. I mean, that was his background growing up. He did win the Xfinity race at Road America in 2016. He did finish third at Sonoma earlier this year behind Daniel Suarez and Christopher Buescher. Justin Haley in third. You know, Justin, he won a truck race at Canada back in 2018. He's another underrated road racer. And Brad Keselowski, like I said, you know, Brad second three times, three years in a row at Watkins Glen, 2011 and 2012 to Marcus Ambrose, the only two wins of Marcus's career. And then second in 2013 to his arch enemy Kyle Busch and the difference between Brad if Brad would have spun Kyle Busch on that last lap in 2013 he would have made the playoffs but he didn't he didn't get a chance to defend his 2012 championship and that also would have been a weekend sweep for Brad Keselowski because he did win the Xfinity race there that Saturday in 2013 the 99 of Daniel Suarez like I said you know Daniel he has always been a phenomenal road racer even as much as he struggled his first year in the cup series in 2018 or 2017 excuse me he's always done great on road courses kyle bush like i said how ironic he has a track house car right in front of him ty gibbs right right behind him especially after the battle that he and ty gibbs had this past sunday at richmond when they kept knocking the crap out of each other just a little before halfway and a little before ty gibbs's engine blew up and he finished 36th you could definitely tell that it's getting to Kyle Busch that he's not going to be in that 18 car come 2023 and that Ty Gibbs is going to be in that car. And yeah, I mean, it was good, hard, solid racing, but I mean, it went on for 15 laps. So even though Kyle has said that, you know, he thinks the world of Ty Gibbs, he, it's basically the only interest that he has in Xfinity anymore, you know, since he retired from Xfinity racing once he got to his 100 wins and everything. You could definitely tell there's a little bit of tension and a little bit of animosity. I mean, can you really blame him when it's the kid's going to take over your ride in 2023? Can't really fault Kyle there. Eighth is the 15 of Joey Hand. Ironically, one of Joey's spotters for tomorrow is the other Keselowski, Brian Keselowski. He's been spotting for Joey when he's done his road racing this year. So, pretty cool. And then ninth is the 11 of Denny Hamlin. But that's the thing. I mean, look at that for a second. So Kyle in sixth, Ty in seventh, Denny Hamlin ninth, Martin Trex Jr. in twelfth. And like I said, Christopher Bell blew his engine and will not be able to post a qualifying time. So Toyota has struggled massively this year on road courses. And even Kurt Busch, even before Kurt got, got hurt, I was expecting big things out of Kurt Busch this year in Joe Gibbs Toyota equipment on road courses. And didn't see it like I remember it was the Sonoma race I think Kurt was the highest finishing Toyota that day and he was about 17th or 18th and that was the first time since Phoenix in 2007 Toyota's first year in the cup series that was the first time since Phoenix November of 2007 that Toyota didn't have a single car inside the top 15 at the end of the race so like I said all those Toyotas as phenomenal as Truex Kyle, you know, Denny to a degree is a good road racer. Like I said, Bubba, he's he's gotten better. Christopher is a very, very underrated road racer. I mean, picking up the first win of his career on the Daytona Road Course February of last year. Definitely count Toyota out tomorrow at Watkins Glen. And I know that it's a strategy game and like I said, you you know, Christopher and Bubba 
and Kyle, I mean, really all of them, ran very, very solidly at Indianapolis. But at the end of the day, Bubba was the only one that got a great finish out of that day when he finished fifth. You know, Christopher, he won the second stage, but had a tire go down. And, you know, Kyle, like I said, Kyle finally ended that long string of races without a top 10 finish. I mean, I think it was eight consecutive races. Obviously a personal record for Kyle Busch, how many races he went without a single top 10 finish. He finally broke that this past Sunday at Richmond when he finished ninth. But, you know, he even talked about himself. He's like, oh, he's like, I got chastained out there. So that's, like I said, that's the one thing that I worry about is, like I said, Ross making so many. I got to agree with Kyle Larson. I mean, I I love Ross. I love his aggression. And that's more than likely the reason that he's going to be my driver when it's all said and done. But I feel like he's been too aggressive at times this year. And, hey, false alarm. Like earlier, the eight of Tyler Reddick, I was like, oh, man, you know, he's pretty far down the charts. Same thing, the two of Austin Sendrick just posted the third fastest time in Group B qualifying behind William Byron and Michael McDowell. Justin Haley is fourth right now. Brad Keselowski hanging on to the final spot in fifth. So currently, if qualifying were to end right now, those that would not make it onto the final round of qualifying would be Daniel Suarez, Kyle Busch, Ty Gibbs, Joey Hand, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Martin Trex Jr., Kimi Raikkonen, Ty Dillon, Cole Custer, Harrison Burton, Loris Hesemans, Eric Almarola. <laughs> what a joke. 18th out of the 18 cars that have posted a time in Group B, and he is 2.3 seconds slower than William Byron. But yeah, let's keep him for another year, Tony Stewart. Let's keep him for another year, Gene Haas. When, you know, you had an opportunity to get Kyle Larson, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's on Ford Motor Company that, you know, they didn't want Kyle with the baggage that he had at the time after he said the N-word during an iRace at Monza on Easter last year. But that it's like Josh talked about. Think of it. Chevrolet, and rightfully and understandably so, but when Kyle Larson, when he had that racial slur during that iRace, I mean, Chevrolet, McDonald's, Clover, First Data, all of the sponsors that were on the 42 car and, you know, Chip Ganassi, they had no choice. They had to drop Kyle Larson. I mean, basically, Chevrolet, McDonald's, and all of them, they gave Chip Ganassi an ultimatum. They said, look, they're like, it's either him or us. And obviously, you know, I know that Chip is no longer involved in, in NASCAR, but when you're talking about over 30-some million dollars worth of sponsorship just going away right then and there, he had no choice. He had to dump Kyle Larson. And it's like Josh said, I think it just shows how much of a huge pull Rick Hendrick has with Chevrolet, you know, that Rick wanted him in that five car. I mean, it was basically the 48 when you think of it. I mean, the five is the old 48 team. The 48 with Alex Bowman, that is the old 88 team that Dale Earnhardt Jr. had. But I think it just shows, you know, Rick, Rick knew that a company like Ally, that they weren't going to sponsor Kyle Larson because of what happened. I mean, hey, let's face it, you know, Kyle paid his dues, and look at what he's done now, you know, winning the championship last year and everything. Rick knew that he was going to have to fund that car out of his own pocket with HendrickCars.com. So that loss for Stuart Haas Racing and Ford was a huge gain for Rick Hendrick, Hendrick Motorsports, and Chevrolet. And that's what bothers me the most. Like I said, Kevin Harvick 
in my opinion, is going to be retiring at the end of 2023. And once he's gone, you have Chase Briscoe. But other than that, Eric Amarola, Cole Custer. I mean, Ryan Priest, I, I feel like, you know, Ryan... I feel like he's just waiting in the wings to take over that four car since he, he's a Kevin Harvick client. And he's a phenomenal, he's one of the best modified racers in the country, talking about Ryan Priest, but he's no Kevin Harvick. So 17 minutes into group B qualifying, we have some more changes. William Byron still the fastest. Michael McDowell still second, but Kyle Busch just moved up to third on the charts. Fourth is Austin Sendrick, and moving himself into the top five right now, the 99 of Daniel Suarez knocking out the 31 of Justin Haley and the 6th of Brad Keselowski. They are currently 6th and 7th, respectively. And then behind them, Ty Gibbs, Joey Hand, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Martin Shrex Jr. So, that has concluded Group B qualifying. So, here are your 10 drivers, numerically, that will be running for the pole here in just a little bit. The number five of Kyle Larson, the eight of Tyler Reddick, the nine of Chase Elliott, the 16 of A.J. Allmendinger, the 17 of Christopher Buescher. Well, I, well, that's, that's group A. Now those that advance from group B numerically. The two of Austin Sendrick, the 18 of Kyle Busch, the 24 of William Byron, the 34 of Michael McDowell, and the 99 of Daniel Suarez. Those are your 10 drivers that are about to duke it out for the pole for tomorrow's NASCAR Cup Series race at Watkins Glen International. So, as we await for the final round of qualifying to begin at Watkins Glen International, Ty Gibbs, as I said, who has been filling in for Kurt Busch these past five races and has done a remarkable job when you think of it. I mean, his first time ever in a cup car, finishing 16th at Pocono Raceway. I mean, you... You're in the Toyota simulator at 1 o'clock in the morning. You're told you're going to make your cup debut starting at the back of the field, driving all the way up to finish 16th, 17th, I believe, on the Indianapolis road course. Then the first top 10 finish of his career in the cup series when he finished 10th at Michigan and was running very, very solidly this past Sunday at Richmond Raceway when the engine blew and he finished 36th. So as I said, you know, Ty, he got into a bit of a wreck during cup series practice. I mean... And he had some very, very concerning comments, and this is what I talk about all the time. So Ty Gibbs was talking to MRN Radio about how rigid these next-gen cars are. And this was Ty's comments after the wreck in practice. He said, I felt like it was a pretty hard hit for as soft as it was. So hopefully we could figure out how to make these things softer and preserve the lives of the drivers. That's very, very concerning, especially when... You consider, like I said, Kurt Busch, that horrible hit that he took at Pocono on July 23rd, and almost one month later, he still hasn't been cleared to return. At the earliest, Kurt Busch could come back September 4th, the Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway. But even then, there, you still don't know if, if it could happen. You know, doctors could tell him, you have to sit out the rest of 2022. Doctors could tell him, Kurt, you have to call it a career. Just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2016, it was a lot of hits that he had earlier in the year that led up to that wreck at Pocono Raceway. And it's concerning when the day after that happened, you know, Kevin Harvick, when he was swept up in the bullshit between Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain, and Kevin, there was nothing that he could do, nothing that Ross could do. He hit 
Ross's car so hard, he came over the radio and he told Rodney Childers and Tim Fedua, I about snapped my wrist in half. Christopher Bell, when he was at Pocono back in Maine, he backed the car into the wall during the test. He said it was one of the hardest hits that, that he's taken. It's like I talked about when I did my podcast with Josh and Johnny Glow, Josh and Timmy, when I did my podcast with Kelly, my fiance. NASCAR cannot become complacent with safety. They cannot become complacent with safety. You can't rest on your laurels that, you know, we have not had a fatality in any of NASCAR's top three series since February 18, 2001, Daytona with Dale Earnhardt. You can't rest on that because the moment that you become complacent is when something catastrophic could happen. Look at what happened to Ryan Newman in the 2020 Daytona 500. And if Ryan, if they didn't have that Newman bar that they created, like, it's still a miracle to this day that he was able to walk away from that wreck. But I digress. Like I said, you cannot become complacent. Ross Chastain, when he wrecked the California during practice back in February, eerily, eerily similar hit to the one Dale Jr. had there in 2002 that gave him a concussion that lasted for about two months or so. NASCAR has got to do a better job. I like the next-gen car. It's, it's a real race car again compared to what we had the past few years with the horrible 550 horsepower high downforce package but don't become complacent until something something devastating could happen but the final round of nascar cup series qualifying underway at watkins Glen international and to no surprise hendrick motorsports one two three oh so four hendrick motorsports teams and three of them are one two three who was the only Hendrick Motorsports driver that didn't make the final round of qualifying? Oh, yeah, yeah, Alex Bowman, once again. Seriously, Alex Bowman does not deserve to stay in that 48 car one bit. Not one bit. He has not shown anything to me over the past three months especially that warrants him, wor- you know, that's worthy of him being able to stay in that 48 car. It's an absolute disgrace. I mean, you have definitely the fastest cars in the garage area with Hendrick Motorsports. Chase Elliott's leading right now. Kyle Larson is second. William Byron is third. And he misses the final round of qualifying. I am so sick and tired of all the Alex Bowman worshippers basically saying that, you know, Alex isn't the problem. Greg Ives is the problem. Greg needs to be fired. Rick gives him the, the crappiest cars possible. That is bullshit. Ultimately, sometimes... The biggest problem is between the seat and the steering wheel. The cars that Rick Hendrick, Greg Ives, and the 48 team are giving him, it's no different than the cars that Chase Elliott and Alan Gustafson and the 9 team have. It's no different than what Kyle Larson, Cliff Daniels, and the 5 team have. It's no different than what William Byron, Rudy Fugel, and the 24 team have. Enough with the excuses. Enough with making Greg Ives a scapegoat when he won with Dale Jr. in 2015. Talladega, Daytona, the final win of Dale Jr.'s career at Phoenix. He won the 2014 Nationwide Series Championship with Chase Elliott. He was the engineer on Jimmy Johnson's 48 car when he won five consecutive championships from 2006 to 2010. Greg Ives is not the problem. Rick Hendrick is not the problem. The problem is in between the seat and the steering wheel when you have a driver that basically expects everything to be handed to him, everything to fall on his lap, just like six out of his seven wins have. So if I'm Rick Hendrick, like I said, just cut the dead weight already, release him from his contract, and get Kyle Busch in that 48 car. But 
The Hendrick Motorsports 1-2-3 has been broken up. Chase Elliott is still the fastest in qualifying. Kyle Larson is second, but third right now is the 34 of Michael McDowell. He is definitely getting the most out of that, that car, that 34 team at Front Row Motorsports. William Byron is fourth. Tyler Reddick, fifth. A.J. Allmendinger in sixth. Christopher Buescher in seventh. Daniel Suarez in eighth. Kyle Busch in ninth. The only driver so far six and a half minutes into final round qualifying here for the Cup Series that has not posted a time yet is the two of Austin Sendrick. And like I said, that's definitely a Penske thing. You know, Jeremy Bollins, he's basically been the same way when he worked with Ryan Blaney, when he worked with Brad Keselowski. You get your driver out there as late as possible. Definitely try not to get as many laps as you can on the tires because, I mean, look at it. Chase Elliott laid down the fastest lap, just took him one lap. Kyle Larson, two laps. Michael McDowell, one lap. William Byron, two laps. Tyler Reddick, one lap. A.J. Allmendinger and Christopher Buescher, two laps apiece. Daniel Suarez, three laps. Kyle Busch, one lap. And Austin Sinrick just clocked in the eighth fastest time, moving ahead of Daniel Suarez and Kyle Busch currently rounding out the top ten right now. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens with Kyle Busch in 2023. His comments, not just this morning, but for the past several weeks, and the body language after Pocono when he initially finished second to Denny Hamlin, his teammate, and Joe Gibbs went up to him after the race was over and was trying to pat him on the back, and Kyle didn't even acknowledge him, didn't even bat an eye. That, that shows a driver and a car owner that are definitely going their separate ways come November 6th, the Phoenix Raceway. And it's like Brett Griffin and all of them talked about in Door Bumper Clear, just the amount of disrespect for Joe Gibbs when you think of it. That is so disrespectful in itself. And I understand, yeah, you know, that 99.9% .9 chance you're going your separate ways. But you do not treat the guy that took a chance on you when you basically wore out your welcome mat at Hendrick Motorsports in 2007. You do not treat someone like that. A well-respected person like Joe Gibbs, a three-time Super Bowl champion, and everything that he's accomplished in NASCAR. Like, I get it. I get it. But... Kyle Busch, you're better than that, seriously. Don't be acting like a Richard Childress, because that's, it's just so ridiculous, like I said, how Tyler is the best thing that's happened to RCR ever since Kevin Harvick left at the end of 2013. Two wins. Road America, Indianapolis Road Course. Lord knows how, how many other victories Tyler could have had this year in the past two years if things would have gone his way. You can't fault Tyler for leaving for a better situation, which is 23XI, and being a teammate to Bubba Wallace, and who knows, maybe Kyle Busch. You can't fault him when you have coddled your below-average grandson, who has three wins to his name, should have never brought the three back in the first place, but yeah, Austin's three wins, the 2017 Coke 600 at Charlotte, when Jimmy Johnson ran out of gas with two laps to go, the 2018 Daytona 500 when he hooked Eric Almarola head on into the wall on the back straightaway, going into turn three. And then July of 2020 at Texas, which was basically a strategy call, staying out under the last caution. And, you know, he and Tyler Reddick basically having that track position there at the end. You, you, talking to Richard Childress, you have alienated your drivers over the years, ever since your grandson, Austin Dillon, came up. 
It's no wonder why Kevin Harvick left for greener pastures at Stuart Haas Racing. It's no wonder why Paul Menard left and drove for the Wood Brothers there at the end of his career. It's no wonder why, you know, Ryan Newman is another one, why Ryan ultimately left and finished his career with Roush. It's because, and I get family's family, but it's because you pampered your grandson, you coddled him so much. And, you know, look at, look at 2016, the spring race at Martinsville, when Paul Menard was going off about the way that Austin was racing him, and Richard comes over the radio and he, he says, he says, you shouldn't race him like that. You know the big picture. Like, it is seriously such a toxic environment. A, seriously, a toxic environment at Richard Childress Racing. I don't know why anyone would want to go over there when you know that you're basically going to have to be second fiddle to Austin Dillon. And that's part of the reason why I just feel like if Kyle Busch were to go to RCR and take over that eight car, or if they rebrand it to a different number, that's why I feel that that would be a huge, huge mistake. But <clears throat> NASCAR Cup Series qualifying has concluded at Watkins Glen International, and to no surprise, the number nine, the road course master himself, Chase Elliott, is on the pole for tomorrow's race at Watkins Glen International. And like I said, Chase just needs four points to clinch the regular season championship. Joining him on the front row tomorrow will be his teammate, the number five of Kyle Larson, who, as I said, is also in today's NASCAR Xfinity Series race later today. <clears throat> Michael McDowell will be rolling off in third. Like I said, look out for Michael McDowell tomorrow at Watkins Glen International. What a phenomenal road course racer he is. William Byron in fourth, Tyler Reddick in fifth, A.J. Allmendinger in sixth, Christopher Busher in seventh, Austin Sendrick in eighth, Daniel Suarez in ninth, and Kyle Busch rounding out the top ten. So when I look at these guys, we know, like I said, Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson, we know how fast they are, but also Hendrick Motorsports cars are in road courses. I look for them, and I also look for William Byron to definitely – turn his season around and get some sort of mojo before we head into the playoffs two weeks from now at Darlington. Michael McDowell, like I said, Michael McDowell, Christopher Busher, Austin Cedric, those are definitely the best bets for Ford. And if Brad Keselowski, Matt McCall, and the sixth team, like I said, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot tomorrow, if they don't, if they play the track position game and pit Brad before the end of the stages, I could definitely see Brad being somewhat of a dark horse tomorrow. I mean, he did finish in the top 10 at Sonoma back on June 12th, one of only three top 10 finishes this year so far, along with ninth in the Daytona 500 and seventh at New Hampshire. Like I said, Toyota, Toyota, you might as well count them out. But like I said, Chevrolet, Elliott, Larson, Reddick, Almondinger, Daniel Suarez, and, you know, Ross Chastain. I know that Ross didn't really look all that fast in, in practice, but like I said, I think that this is definitely going to be a Chevrolet-dominated race tomorrow at Watkins Glen International. So the time has come to decide who to pick for tomorrow. The GoBowling.com at the Glen at Watkins Glen International. Now, like I said, I did pick William Byron to win today's NASCAR Xfinity Series race later today, 3.30 on USA Network. I am definitely going to keep it in the Hendrick Motorsports family as far as my pick to go to victory lane tomorrow. Now, I know, like I said, 
Kyle Larson, he qualified second, best five lap average, best 10 lap average. But let's face it, I mean, as Daryl Waltrip would say, when it's your year, it's your year. And Chase Elliott, this is definitely his personal playground. Talking about Watkins Glen International, the first cup win of his career came at Watkins Glen in 2018. And then he backed it up the following year in 2019, winning the pole, leading all, but I think it was about like six or seven laps. And then ultimately the 2020 race getting canceled because of COVID-19. Thank you, Andrew Cuomo, scumbag. But the 2020 race getting canceled because of COVID-19 and because of, like I said, how strict New York was with all their COVID stuff. But that race went to the Daytona Road Course. And you know who won that race at the Daytona Road Course in 2020? Chase Elliott, along with his two wins at the Charlotte Roval, 2019, and also 2020. 2020 in the rain so like the old saying goes to be the man you got to beat the man and that is why i am picking the number nine of chase elliott to go to victory lane tomorrow at watkins Glen international so that's going to do it for episode 120 of jake's take i appreciate you guys tuning in enjoy the race tomorrow i wish i could and then sometime early next week Joshua John Manley, the man, the myth, the legend himself, will join me to talk about his birthday weekend at Watkins Glen International and then preview the regular season finale at Daytona International Speedway next Saturday night, August 27th, 7 o'clock on NBC. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Y'all take it easy.